The Down in a Heap podcast from Rob C. is one of the only podcasts that I can stand to listen to. I'm Froth from the Thought Eater podcast, and I approve this message. In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope, bring your pole all over. And try not to go down in a heap. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful northeast Minneapolis. The top of the show, we heard Froth from the Thought Ear podcast, Thought Ear blog, and Daniel Norton from Bandit's Keep podcast, YouTube. I don't know, does he have a blog? Well, whatever. And he's got an actual play YouTube channel as well. And is the co-host on with K.R. King on the Monsters and Treasure podcast. So thanks for that rendition, Daniel. It was great. Today, I think we're going to talk a little bit about mixing up two things. Will it turn out like a Reese's peanut butter cup? Or two great tastes make an even better flavor sensation? Or is it doomed to failure? But first, we've got Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast dropping in with a message. Take it away, Jason. Hey Rob, Jason here. Just listened to your latest episode about the Thieves Guild supplement. And, yeah, I would love to come on and we can talk about the pros and cons of Thieves and, and all that. You know, when I say hated Thief class, I am kind of talking tongue-in-cheek. But I I would love to come on and do a discussion about Thieves and and the idea of these niche classes in especially TSR era and TSR compa- games are compatible TSR era games. So take care of yourself. I hope your voice comes back soon. I'll talk to you later. Let's get ready to rumble. Yeah, I I think that would be great if you came on the show and we kind of had a back and forth on the pros and cons of the thief. Uh, I I do think we have two very different outlooks on that. And um, yeah, and if you want to expand the discussion to talk about other niche peripheral classes, that would be fine too, because I think... I think there's a lot of classes that are a lot, a lot more uh, disposable in the game than the thief. I think <laughs> almost every fighter subclass is more or less disposable and could be replaced just with some kind of background skills or something or just role-playing um, your character <laughs> in a certain way. So... Yeah, I think we should definitely do that. My voice has come back, um, at least for the most part. I still, once in a while, get a little froggy, have a little cough. But uh, yeah, for the most part, I think I'm over this cold crud, knocking on wood as we speak. So, let's get to the meat of the episode, where I'm talking a little bit about something that I think is really much, well, I mean, I think this is probably true of a lot of role-playing game tradition, but because I'm not really part of any other, uh, or at least entrenched in any other kind of gaming community, for lack of a better word, I don't know if 
tinkering with the rules, with house rules, really goes on in in other games with a really long lineage like D&D or, you know, um, I mean, are, are there a bunch of house rules for Traveler, like classic Traveler? Are there bunches of house rules for Call of Cthulhu or RuneQuest? And with more modern games, are there loads of house rules for and Powered by the Apocalypse games? I suppose all the different variations on that rule system are more or less house rules of Powered by the Apocalypse. But, you know, I don't really know. But I do know that as long as D&D has been around since its release, <laughs> people have been mucking around with the rules. So I think that's very much part of the OSR. It's all a matter of, do your house rules take the game in a direction where it's no longer really even recognizable as, or at least compatible with, uh, with some of the supplements and things like that? Like, I mean, does it make it so that it's a lot more difficult to pick up Isle of Dread and run it? or against the giants or something. I mean, does, does it make it so that you have to go through the module and make all kinds of alterations and notes and stuff to actually run it? Or can you basically just pick up the module and run it as is? So uh, I'm looking to uh, one of the other, one of the newer games that really strikes a, a chord with me, something I'm fascinated with, and that is into the Odd by Chris McDowell. What can we learn from that? What could what could potentially be used or provide inspiration from Into the Odd to change my BX old school essentials game into something that is even better? Is that possible? I don't know. And it would would it still even be an OSR game? Probably not. But here's what I'm thinking. There are, for me, four things about Into the Odd that are kind of unique takes or something that really helps streamline and distill the game down into very basic components. Number one, you can create a whole party of characters in less than five minutes. You're basically rolling three stats, hit points, and those numbers are used to find a spot on a cross-reference chart that gives you your starting package of equipment and potentially powers or um, debilitating conditions. And that unique thing makes it perhaps the ideal game for just a pickup game, a fill-in game, a one-shot con convention game, whatever. And I think a lot of newer games that came after Into the Odd use that as inspiration. Number two, the setting itself is very evocative. There's not much given, but it's this kind of weird, um, almost post-apocalyptic, post early industrial age setting with a 
megalopolis bastion surrounded by deep country, which is as you go further and further into deep country, it's almost as if you're going back in time or at least back in time from a technological advancement point of view. Um, and there's other areas that he alludes to too, but, but this, this setting, um, is very different from the traditional pseudo medieval Europe, Western European kind of approach to D and D. And, uh, it's something that I find both fascinating and a little bit of a stumbling block for me creatively because I'm not, it's not in my comfort zone. So I don't know if, how well I'd be able to pull that off, but it's, it's very, for me, unique and, uh, is something I'd love to try and explore. The third, he leans into the idea in D and D how it's magic items as much as character advancement for most of, or for many of the character classes, that's where you're gaining new things to do as a player, as a character, is through acquiring magic items. And that typically means that more play means more magic items, more stuff. In Into the Odd, he's basically stripping out the entire spell system. There are no spell casters and replacing that with arcanum, magic items. So that's the way you can break the laws of reality, break the, the, the rules of the game, so to speak. And it's all done in a very simple, ma simple manner. But it's the fourth thing that I find especially interesting especially given that Into the Odd, for the most part, as I alluded to, is, is very distilled and abstract. And for me, being leaning much more on the simulationist and uh, the spectrum, if, if it is a continuum from, like, narrative or abstract to simulationist, I, f I fall far more on that simulationist continuum. But it's the combat system where I find the most potential meat to dig into for inspiration for my traditional D&D game. And it's that he basically did away with what I see as one of the biggest problems with traditional D&D, and that's the to-hit roll, the Rock'em Sock'em Robots dilemma where you have high armor class combatants duking it out with relatively low to hit modifiers and there's tons of empty exchanges where nothing is happening or you do score a hit and then you roll <laughs> very low damage so it's just it it sometimes feels like it takes forever and then all of a sudden you score a hit and roll maximum damage and you knock the block off the rock'em sock'em robot, right? But it sometimes that happens right away when you're really lucky, and especially if you're using crits, like for instance Keith is. And other times, like in his Caverns of Thracia game, uh, we were like 
first, second level, and we were running up against these opponents that all were decked out in plate mail. And at first, it was a slog. We, I mean, they had better AC than we did. And, uh, but after we took out a few with a sleep spell, then we were able to scavenge their armor, and now we were in the tin cans too, those of us that could wear it. And then squaring off with them, then it became Rock'em Sock'em Robots. So, um, yeah, Into the Odd does this in a very abstract way, saying that you, there is no to hit roll. That was the innovative, the very innovative thing that Chris McDowell did. He just said, nope, we're doing away with a to hit roll. You're just, if you're in, you're in combat, you're opening yourself up to, uh, to danger and being damaged. So <clears throat> how would I use into the odd combat system as a replacement for what there is in traditional D&D. So combat in Into the Odd, as I mentioned, you basically just announce your attack against a, an opponent and then you roll damage because there's, there's no to hit roll. Uh, and then if they're wearing armor, the amount of their armor points are deducted from the amount of damage you rolled, and that damage is applied to the target's hit points. And if they don't have any hit points, or if the damage brings their hit point total to negative damage, then the that balance is applied to the to the target's strength score. There is no constitution score in into the odd. They just have strength dexterity and will and once you've taken damage to your strength you're considered to be wounded and you need to make a a strength save so you're rolling a d20 versus your strength um, and if it's below your current strength total you can remain active and effective but if you roll above your current strength score you are basically out of action. You're considered to have suffered critical damage and you can't continue the fight. And if you're left untended by an ally, if you're just lying there bleeding out essentially for an hour or more, you're dead. Likewise, if your strength is reduced to zero, you're dead. But otherwise, when you're suffering damage to your strength score, it's basically indicating that you're being bodily harmed and you each time that you suffer strength loss you need to make a strength save and pass to continue fail you're out of action critically damaged so the implication there is that hit points are this almost this buffer uh this fighting prowess or ability to just avoid damage uh it might abstractly represent your ability to parry blows and stuff too just yeah like fighting prowess and and that's kind of the part of the idea of hit points in like a classic D&D game too but in the classic D&D game as i've mentioned there's this there's it's at odds with itself in that you can inflict damage very readily and that damage that you've suffered doesn't really do anything to indicate that you're debilitated at all, that you're 
<laughs> Lily, you have something to say about it? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you're you're not suffering any kind of um, penalties to your tax or movement or anything like that to indicate that you're wounded. But then, you, so you can go all the way down to one hit point and you're seemingly fine, and then you suffer one more and you're down, right? Uh, but then when you're recovering hit points, it's at a very slow rate, almost duplicating the idea of of uh, recovering from being uh, physically beat up. And that's all the way up until you get to maximum level. It's not like you're recovering your wounds slowly at the beginning, representing bodily harm, and then rapidly after that to replicate that you're just recovering fatigue or... Uh, fighting Elan or something like that. In Into the Odd, you recover your hit points very quickly, just after a short rest, I think it's like 10 minutes and uh, a drink of water or something, and all your hit points are restored. But recovering any actual attribute damage, damage to your strength score, or some monsters can affect other your dexterity or will with their attacks as well, um, that requires a full week of downtime, and then all of it's recovered. So I kind of like how that solves the whole kind of hit point and wound dilemma that exists in D&D. Now, I do have issues with it because it is pretty abstract, uh, just automatically hitting things, especially with ranged attacks. The only real slider that they have in Into the Odd as written is attacks that are considered to be impaired. Perhaps you're attacking someone at, um, who has cover, or you're attacking someone um, uh, at long range or something, or you're somehow inhibited. Maybe you're, you're slowed or something by some arcana or something then you're only doing a d4 damage regardless of what weapon you have likewise if you're attacking from an enhanced position perhaps from behind or attacking someone that's down on the ground or immobile or something your damage is automatically a d12 regardless of what kind of weapon you're using so that's the only real um modifiers that they have to attacks and, uh, you know, you could still do just one point of damage with an enhanced attack. Likewise, you could do four points with an impaired attack. But that's all they've got. Um, where am I going with this? I walked into a... or talked into a cul-de-sac. All right, it's the, the whole idea of the automatic hit that I have a stumbling block with. So how would I apply this to my BX Old School Essentials game? Well, so the goal is basically to create a more interesting and engaging, for me at least, combat system that feels a little bit more simulationist, or at least puts armor, hit points, and wounds in a more understandable light. Um, if the average number of rounds in a combat encounter was reduced, you know, that would be a welcome change too. Not that BX 
has is excessively long. I think a lot of combats can be over with really quickly. But as I pointed out in in the Rock'em Sock'em robot situation, that isn't the case. When you're talking high armor class, that always, unless it's <laughs> unless it's counterbalanced by higher level creatures that have attack bon better attack bonuses or or magic or something. Uh, you have a lot of empty exchanges and it just, it creates a, a longer combat. So what kind of issues are we trying to, to solve? Well, that characters and monsters who have, um, an exceptional AC create these empty exchanges it, that can create, uh, flat moments and, maybe grind things in a what would be an action-packed environment to a little bit more of a slog. And then also the whole idea of the contradictory idea of the hit points being easy to lose, indicating that they're kind of uh, abstract because you don't really suffer any debilitating effects from losing the hit points, but then very slow to recover naturally, suggesting that these are real wounds. So the changes that I'd make would be twofold. Well, maybe maybe morefold. <laughs> I'd be I wouldn't have automatic attacks or t hits like the like there are in into the odd. But what I'd do is I'd reduce the base armor class in AD&D from a 10 to a 5. So that makes it 25% more likely to hit. And I'd also change the idea of armor class into two concepts. Basically your defense, which is what armor class represents in classic, well, in basically all D&D. It's, it's essentially the target number an opponent needs to hit you. But I'd call that, well... Whatever. I mean, if it's less confusing to just keep calling that armor class, whatever. But, but then armor itself doesn't make you harder to hit. It deducts damage from the attack. I think that's a more... That feels more real to me. Um, and you might... This all might end up getting the same net result, right? And, and just arrive at it in a different way. <laughs> I haven't playtested this. This is all just... Uh, armchair dreaming right now. but So the idea of armor class would be divided into two separate ratings, armor and defense. The armor is representing how many points of damage are reduced from a hit. For instance, maybe chainmail would be armor two. You'd have like... Um, so if, if you took four points of damage, your chainmail would re reduce that down to two. The defense is the number that uh, the attacker actually needs to score a hit on a creature, and the base would be five. And what? So what modifies your defense? What modifies the number that opponents need to hit you? Well, dexterity. Any bonus that you have from a high dexterity or penalty from a low dexterity would ad would adjust defense up and down. Shields, too. Rather than absorbing damage like suits of armor would do, 
shields make you harder to hit. So I'd Right now I'm thinking shields would do, be plus two on your defense, making them a little bit more effective than they are in classic D&D where it's only one. Likewise, most magic would affect defense rather than armor. You could, I mean, you could go through the spells and decide, but like, I think most defense, or most, uh, most magic would just make you harder to hit. Cover and other battlefield conditions also might increase your defense. And then I I like the idea of being able to adopt a defensive posture, too. So, and like in the old um, Rollmaster or before that Arms Law Claw Law, an attacker could they have like a plus 35% to attack or something for whatever reason, their level or ability scores. <clears throat> and they could split that between their attack bonus or apply it towards a defense bonus. And I, I think that would be cool to do that as well. So a skilled combatant, say you're a fourth level fighter and you have a plus two to hit, at the beginning of the round, you could... Um, instead say I'm a, adopting a defensive posture and apply that plus two to your defense rather than your attacks for the round. And maybe you could even split it up and say I'll do plus one to both. Um, so what values would armor provide? From a basic point of view, you could just make it light, medium, and heavy. Like leather is one, chain is two, plate is three. Um, you could, you could have other armor as well. I mean, I think one, two, and three is probably the, the highest I'd want to go for like just regular non-magical armor is, is three or something. That way, if you're doing, um, using a D4 weapon, like a dagger or something, you could still harm someone with it. Um... You could also have movement rates help differentiate various different armor. Um, Or maybe, if you want to really dig into it, maybe some armors give better protection against different attack types. So maybe some are better versus bludgeoning or slashing weapons or piercing. Um, But that's a little bit more advanced and I want to delve into at least with this initial kind of idea Um, you could I mean you could even do things like track armor degradation by the amount of damage absorbed uh, that the armor is absorbed and then they could become less effective until repaired or something so that would involve a lot more bookkeeping um, than maybe a lot of people want (laughs) would want so how would you handle things like natural AC with monsters and stuff like that? It would probably be on a case-by-case basis. Um, I'd, I'd apply just like a five base defense, like a PC or something. Sorry, I had to take a sip of coffee. Um, but if, you know, a creature's AC is better than normal... Um, and it's derived more from, like, speed or reflexes or elusiveness. Say, like, a, a panther or something. 
I'd up I'd apply their whatever their armor class is in AD and D or whatever um, that's better than the base. So if they have an AC thirteen, that's three better than normal. So I I'd, I'd apply that to the creature's defense. Whereas if it was something that had a tough hide or a shell or something, then I'd have that apply more to their armor, the amount of damage that's it's reducing. And you could have combinations of those things too, if a creature has both elusiveness, reflexes, whatever, and a tough hide, maybe like a dragon or something, it would probably have both uh, a better defense and a better armor. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I, I alluded to the idea that if you have a low damage dealing weapon like a dagger or something and you're facing off against some armored knight you're not going to be very likely to do any damage so i think in this system i'd have to employ some kind of method of critical hits so i think i think here's here's what i'm noodling with to bring helmets into the mix, I think helmets should just reduce the critical hit range. So when attacking most creatures, um, a 19 or a 20 are critical hits. A 19 just bypasses any armor rating. A 20 bypasses any armor rating and is automatically maximum damage. So if you're using a spear you'd automatically hit for six points of damage. If you're attacking with a pole arm, you'd automatically do 10 points of damage. And armor wouldn't be deducted at all from that. And if you were attacking a, a humanoid-type creature, if they were wearing a helmet, it would be the same thing. But if they weren't wearing a helmet, then maybe the critical hit range is 18, 19, and 20. 18 and 19 bypassing helm or bypassing armor and uh, 20 um, bypassing armor and doing maximum damage. So I, and you could do that with other things too, with other armor types, I suppose too, just uh, um, change the, the crit range or something like that. It would just be, or, or monsters maybe could have that um, special defense too or something. Or maybe even like monsters that are only immune to, that are like immune to certain weapon attacks. Maybe you have to score a critical to even <clears throat> damage them or something. There's a lot of ways you could implement that. So how would like hit points and wounds work? This would be where it's closely inspired by Into the Odd. For PCs and NPCs, hit points are representing luck and fighting prowess, uh, fighting Elan. They're a buffer that protects one from suffering bodily harm. Once hit points are gone, any further damage suffered is deducted from their constitution. If any con is lost in a hit, the victim would make uh, a con check, need to roll below their current con constitution on a d20. If it passes, they can continue acting as normal, but if it fails, they suffer critical damage and may not move or take any other actions until they're tended to by an ally or they take a rest or whatever. They're essentially out of action. 
critical damage could may also trigger other monster attack effects. Um, uh, and then if your so if your constitution is reduced to zero, your character's dead. Now for monsters, I wouldn't want to be sitting there trying to figure out what every monster's constitution is or rolling it at the table or something. So I think with monsters um, and just like most, like if you're fighting a bunch of bandits or something, um, I just use their hit points as listed in the game. Um, and at zero hit points, they're just out of action. Maybe it's 50-50, they're out of action or dead. Um, and in this system, your hit points wouldn't be modified by constitution. So <clears throat> either good or bad, your constitution is what how much damage you can take. So that's where it comes into play. You know, it's really how hardy you are. Um, so I don't think it should affect your, your hit points. So it's going to possibly reduce the amount of average hit points that some characters have. It might increase others if if they have really high con or terrible constitution. So how would you recover all this? I mean, like how are hit points and constitution recovered? I don't know if I want to want to have it as quickly as it is in Into the Odd, where a short rest, ten minutes, you recover all of it. Um, so I'm thinking a short rest would be like three turns, so thirty minutes of uninterrupted rest, not moving, not searching, casting spells, or anything like that. And a damaged character would recover one hit die of lost hit points per short rest. So your fighter would recover a d8, your thief would recover a d4. And the, the penalty basically is time lost. You could have wandering monsters occurring, light sources are going out, you're losing time, whatever. So there is a cost, you know, 30 minutes. But you're recovering hit points a lot more quickly than you are in classic D&D. Um, now, lost constitution represents actual wounds and are recovered much more slowly. Maybe one point of constitution for every full day of rest in a safe place, not like in a cold camp out in the wilderness or in a dungeon. Um... And I'd say if you like in into the odd, if you're de considered to be deprived from lack of food, water, sleep, shelter, or warmth, you can't benefit from these rests. You're not going to recover, or maybe maybe you could say it's a, at a much slower rate. You know, you get a hit die per day of hit points back or something, and one hit one point of constitution every two or three days or something, and in suboptimal conditions, but I'd be inclined to just say, <clears throat> if you're deprived of those things, you're just not going to heal. So what, how would healing magic work? Like a cure light wound spell or something. I'd say it, you could use it just as normal to, to instantly get hit points back, or it could re restore lost constitution. Um, maybe one point of constitution for every hit die of healing listed. So a Cure Light Wounds would restore one point of constitution. A Cure Serious would re restore two points. So, now, I have no idea if this would work. Like I said, I, <clears throat> I haven't playtested this, not even like in a solo 
here's six orcs against three, um, uh, three first level fighters or something and see what happens. Um, so this is all just speculation. I think, I think it would be fun to try and whether or not, um, I ever will. I, I mean, I'll let you know <laughs> if I, if I do this, even if I'll, I'll at least do some solo mock combats and see how it works. Now we're into the odd, it becomes weird is with multiple like ganging up. So you have, you know, the three mooks attacking one character and stuff. If you're just saying automatic hits, they're going to just bring down. Numbers are going to count for a lot. And how in the revised or however, what did he call it? Into the odd revisited or something like that. I don't know. In the second printing, he brought in the idea from, I think, Electric Bastion Land that each character or each creature attacking the same target rolls damage and you just take the highest damage from all of them. So if Mook X does two points, Mook Y does four points, and Mook Z does three points, you just suffer four points of damage, not the total damage. And that's, um, I mean, that works, but it's a little less rewarding because if you're being attacked by, you know, if 15 guys shoot at you, shoot their muskets at you or something, you'd think you'd be taking more damage than that potentially than, than just the, the worst of the one hits. The, uh, I don't know. So, um, yeah, I don't know if this will work or not. And you might be thinking too, well, Rob, you dope as usual, you, you dope. This is what they did in 5e, right? They're basically, we're trying to eliminate the empty exchanges or, um, not eliminate, but reduce the amount of empty exchanges by giving everyone essentially proficiency with at least some weapon, right? With monsters, their natural attacks or the weapons that they use, they're they're at least plus two, and even and the characters are like plus two with all the weapons they're proficient with, and that proficiency bonus goes up to I think as high as plus six, if you're like seventeen. 17th level or whatever. Um, and then you get bonuses much more rapidly from ability scores than you do, say, in BX or OSE. So you're hitting a lot more often, but they but they also inflated hit points, so you're still getting a little bit of a rock'em sock'em robot effect because of the um the inflated hit points. You're 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 scoring hits and doing damage, but you're um, more often, and that especially comes into play with uh, with more adversaries attacking you, like multiple opponents in in five e. I think are maybe a little bit more deadly than in BX, like fighting three giant rats with a first level character in BX isn't quite as well I don't know it I haven't done the probabilities it just felt like in in AD or in in 5e something like that was more deadly but maybe that's because of their whole pack tactic thing and I'm really running off the rails here but su suffice it to say I realize I might be doing the same type of thing that I'm just having I'd be having attacks 
occur more often, but with armor reducing damage, it still might, the net result might be the same amount of quote-unquote empty exchanges. But maybe not. With the idea of the critical hits bypassing armor and stuff too, and doing maximum damage, maybe there's a germ there <clears throat> that will work, and it and the goal of reducing the amount of empty exchanges, perhaps uh, reducing the amount of rounds in a typical combat, and the benefit, in my weird or simulationist-leaning mind, of helping to differentiate the idea of wounds and just lost hit points um, maybe those all add up to this being a better combat system for me. Whether it is for you or not, I don't know. And whether it's worth the hassle or not of going through and changing the, uh, the armor class, essentially, of all the, the monsters in a, in a module or in my monster book or something parsing out like, all right, does this creature have a higher defense, a lower defense? Uh, how many armor points do I give them? I don't think that would really take a whole lot of time to just go through the BX books and do that for the monsters I use. Cause I, I don't, I mean, they're, they're second level. I'm not going to like throw in a freebie at them or something or, <laughs> or, I mean, they're just not going to occur that often. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's what I'm thinking. And it might, um, if I do something like this ever, it might get expanded into having poison take away attribute loss and par and paralysis attacks deducting from dexterity and mental attacks deducting from your wisdom or something and like they do in Into the Odd. Uh, and you could even get to the whole idea of bypassing hit points and, and damage applying directly to constitution for like some assassination attempt or maybe a thief's backstab or uh, attacks that are given in surprise. Maybe it goes right to con instead of hit points. I don't know. But right now, this is kind of what's been on my mind lately. Um, I've thought about doing it uh, in the past, but I thought... Or OSR October for the idea of um, of tinkering with the rules and thinking outside the box. I'm going into the box, into the BX, instead of into the odd. <laughs> um, and as I alluded to, if I did do this, to me, this would change BX. It would no longer be an OSR game because it's not readily compatible with uh, with other D and D products, you'd have to you'd have to do some major tinkering and stuff. But uh, but that doesn't mean it wouldn't be a, a fun game or a better game, right? Just like I I think uh, games that I don't consider to be OSR games can still be great games and still be fun games. I just don't think they're OSR games. Um, but uh, I'll stop blabbering now. And if you have any thoughts on this. If you've ever thought about doing it, or if someone, I mean, there's probably a good chance that someone has tried doing this. Uh, there are games out there that build upon Into the Odd and utilize things from other, like Cairn is basically 
taking the, into the odd chassis and adding nave spells to it, you know. Um, <clears throat> and but I I like the a lot of the things about BX. You know, you could you'd be retaining everything in BX, the class level system, all the attributes, the magic items, the spells, whatever. But you'd be just changing the combat to make it what to me seems to make a little more sense from a simulationist point of view but I don't know if it would be any better at the table you know how it would play but let me know what you think until I talk to you again thanks for listening thanks to Jason for your call and um, until I talk to you again don't go down in a heap hey it's your old pal Columbo here just one more thing in the show, listening back to the show, obviously, uh, my reference point is using AC as an ascending AC, the higher the better, um, rather than descending like you have in traditional D&D. Um, and also thinking a little bit more about helmets, you could maybe just say, well, you could say they do both, but maybe helmets add to your defense too. Um, and shields maybe are plus one for a small shield, plus two for a large shield, and maybe large shields, you know, count more for encumbrance purposes and stuff, so they're, you differentiate, have a give and take there, and helmets could be, um, could also, uh, decrease the likelihood of critical hits. I mean, helmets are really important. <laughs> it's, it's one of the lingering thing, uh, it's the only real armor that, lasted through world war ii right well even into korea and stuff um and now they obviously have other personal body armor and stuff too but um you know helmets lingered on the battlefield where breastplates and greaves and all that were long since discarded and yet in D, it's completely hand waved it's either assumed to be part of the armor that you're wearing you know just assumed you're wearing a helmet or you're not wearing a helmet uh, if you're unarmored, but, uh, maybe, yeah, the, the trick is you don't want to have it so that defense is so easily acquired that you're back to what's occurring in straight classic D and D where you're almost always, you know, you, where you're getting to the point where you're hit, you know, 45% of the time or less, I want it to be a higher chance to be hit. Uh, and then armor potentially deducting damage. But uh, anyway, those are my my last-minute Columbo thoughts. Thanks for indulging me. Time to go, Elder.